You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. First and foremost, for those that don't know you, what's like the quick two-sentence or three-sentence or... I'm still figuring it out, man. <laughs> I pretty much spent the first part of my career trying to build companies, trying a keyword, then went to Facebook. I ran a number of product teams there, growth teams, and then I started investing full-time in like end of 2015, early 2016, and that's just like normal venture capital stuff. But in 2017, I'd helped a bunch of other people build very large brands on Facebook or other platforms. So Fuck Jerry was big on Instagram. They wanted to figure out Facebook. Somehow I was like the person who got tasked with helping them. And then I helped Zuck and Sheryl Sandberg figure out, you know, how do they go direct on the platform? They were like probably the earliest, literally in 2014, they were talking about this. And so I was just like, I don't have an audience at all. I think this is going to be important. And so I started tweeting, which like, I didn't know what else to do. So it got crazy after that. And then if you think today, I run my family office, half of it's investing, half of it we have a number of operating businesses that we own. And the media stuff is like, it used to be like a big business and we were trying to make money and all that. And like now we've just turned into, I enjoy doing it, but it really just helps the other businesses. Got it. You started talking about how you've grown your Twitter. I think Twitter, you're like 1.4, 1.5 million now. It's all organic. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, your brother, Joe Pompliano, who's like big into sports, he's growing rapidly as well. And then I see the work that Paulina is doing, your awesome wife back there. She's, you guys are building this like Pompliano empire, right? Can you speak to that a little bit? And then I want to go into the Twitter stuff. Yeah. None of it was like necessarily intentional. We, everything is separate. So like we don't really, if you notice, like we don't really cross promote that much or anything like that. If we were like one business, maybe we would be more intentional about it. But there's definitely, I don't know if it's a playbook, but like we figure some stuff out and we learn from each other, which I think is probably really important. So for me, I just started tweeting in 2017 and I just tweeted a lot. People forget how much time it takes to create tons and tons of content. So a lot of times people will be like, hey, I'm not good at this. I'm like, yeah, because you spend 20 minutes on it. Like, of course you're not good at it. And so I was just like, just young enough, had just enough free time where I could spend like a couple hours a day. Um, and that helped. And then from there, I focused on one platform. That's probably the biggest thing is like, a lot of people are like, hey, I want to be on the internet. So like, I have Twitter, I have Facebook, I have Instagram, I have all this shit. Like, what? Like, just pick one, try to be good at that one, and then use that to grow the second one. So for me, it was... Twitter at the beginning of 2017 until the summer of 18. So 18 months, just Twitter. And then from there, I did the podcast. But like, the podcast was not intentional. I see people all the time. Like everyone knows like the big reveal of products. Like you work on it for six months and then you're like, here's my product. And people are like, oh shit, nobody cares. Like for me, it was very different. It was just like, hey, what's a podcast? These kids were like, I'll help you do it. We recorded a conversation. I posted, I think it got 20 downloads. Do another one. And probably for a year, it had 300 downloads, 400 downloads an episode. Like it was nothing. It, this is after you grew your Twitter to significant size, right? Oh yeah, Twitter. So I basically went zero to 100,000 in the first year. Second year, probably like zero to 200,000. So that was 18. In 2019, probably again, like another 100,000. By 2020, I had 400,000. And I went from 400,000 to 1.6 million or whatever in 18 months. And how but much like, time were you spending on it each day? I fucking lived on Twitter. And also Bitcoin went parabolic. Yeah. So if you overlay a lot of the growth on Twitter to the Bitcoin price, it's like perfectly aligned. <laughs> it, it makes sense, right? There's a bunch of people who are like, what is this thing? It's just going parabolic. My friend told me about it. Get on Twitter. Who's talking about it? Oh, this guy's tweeting about it a lot. I'll follow him and see yeah. what he's saying. So you were like prolific on Twitter and you were also writing a trend and it happened to be that all the people that were into Bitcoin or Web3 were on Twitter. 
Yeah, I always think about content on the internet is really market selection. It's like in investing, a lot of your returns come from market selection, not asset selection. If you were long all this AI stuff two years ago, like you're probably doing pretty well now, right? If you were long crypto in 2018, 2019, you've done really well in 2021, 2022. So same thing here is social followings, in, especially in business, are very much aligned with like investment trends, right? Where are people talking about? And so if you were the like high inflation is coming before 2020 and you stuck with it and then high inflation came, what do you do? Like dance on graves, do your victory lap. And you're like, I was right. And everyone's like, oh, okay, what else do you think? It's kind of like the Michael Burry. How many people saw he tweeted recently? He was just like, sell. Yep. <laughs> and everyone was like, he was right that one time like yep. 15 years ago. Shit, should I sell? Yep. And so I think the same thing happens. And so it's also this thing of, I don't know a single person who has built a big audience that isn't like true to what they believe. Like it is really hard to fake it at scale for a long period of time. And so you just have to think, what am I interested in? And then how does that overlay with whether it's an investment trend, a business trend, whatever. And like those things just hit. And then I don't know, maybe other people tell you they're geniuses, but fucking Bitcoin went from $8,000 to $69,000. And I was tweeting about it. Like, yep. Interesting. does that make me smart? I don't think so. It just thinks I had time on my hands. And you've been consistent. And when you say you live on it every day, how many Not hours? anymore. I yeah. used to, not anymore. Was it yeah, like yeah. eight hours a day before? I, I was like doing it in between, like throughout the day. Yeah. And there's something like a governor on a car. You know how like you can you could hit the gas and maybe the car really could go 120, but like they govern it at 90. I had no governor. Like I was tweeting 30, 40 times a day. Like if an idea popped in my head, I just fucking tweeted it. I didn't care what anybody thought, whatever. And so of course people want to watch the slow car wreck, right? Like they want to see the person who's like just unfiltered, which is great. And like you can stay away from a lot of the controversial topics and things like that. But like newsflash, you know what gets more tweets than saying the Fed's doing a good job? The Fed's fucking idiots. Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> so you just got to like remember, why am I doing this? And if you get too focused on the engagement, you lose the plot. And that's where I think really Polina, my brother, a couple other people we know, they'd be like, hey, that one was out there. Like reel it back in. Got it. So Twitter's your, maybe it's still your pillar piece of content or pillar channel. What right other now. channels do you have right now? How big are those? Yeah, Twitter 1.6. And like to put Twitter in perspective, like it's not growing a ton now, just they're fucking with the algorithm, like Bitcoin's down, like there's a whole bunch of factors. But like at one point I was gaining like 180,000 followers a month. Like it, was, it was ridiculous. And the email also like parabolic growth in that same time period. So it was like very much price goes up, Twitter goes up, email goes up, podcast goes up, whatever. How many, how many email? Oh, yeah, yeah 235-ish thousand, maybe 240, something like that on that list. The podcast last year did 25 million downloads on audio only. YouTube, we do 7, 8 million views per month now. I'm popping on TikTok, but I don't have it. I've never been on TikTok. Our guys post it and I don't know, it gets five, six, seven million views a week, which like crazy to me. And then Instagram's the one that I probably have spent the least amount of time on. And I'm like, shit, I probably should have spent more time there, but whatever. Got it. And how, by the way, I have a buddy, he has a marketing newsletter that's just, it's only 100,000, 100, still a lot of subs, 100,000 subs, and it makes $3.5 million a year. And I wish I was doing that. I, 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 that's the question, right? So how are you monetizing all this yeah, right So now? the email, you have to remember that the audience, it's weird. Like the Twitter audience is exactly what you would expect is on Twitter. It's every single top finance person on Twitter follows me. 
and not the top finance person. The guy who's, I have $5 in a Robinhood account and I'm a trader. <laughs> You're like, okay. So 1.6 million people, it's just a lot of fucking people. Somebody in here is probably, yeah, that's me, whatever. It's just, it's a lot of different types of people. And, and it's a side note is you have to remember that like, you have to put certain weight on different people's comments. So if you go in the comments and somebody's, you're an idiot, you gotta remember that that's not the top finance person. That might be the $5 person. So just keep it in perspective. But on the email, I would say pretty much every major hedge fund investor, tons of like institutional investors, like the audience is like super high quality. And so you gotta pick a path. If I wanted to make a ton of money, I could just absolutely destroy that email list and like different offers every day, sell different, do all that kind of stuff. It's not really what I want to do, but also it's not like really the tone of the email. So the email has incredibly high open rates and click-throughs and all this stuff because like they know it's kind of like no bullshit, right? Like he's going to write his honest thoughts about this thing. He takes a lot of time to put into it. And we monetize via Substack in, in terms of people pay. What's interesting though is in the investment world, guess what happens? Prices crash. A lot of people are like, eh, maybe I don't need to pay for all this stuff, right? So you basically get like a net loss. And so one of the upsides is during good times, like anything in business finance goes up in the bad times, like you see the numbers come down. And so you just really got to say to yourself, like, I don't, I don't care so much about the money and those numbers and stuff. Ultimately, every time I communicate with that audience, it's just like, I'm building trust with them. And they're like, okay, I like the way this guy thinks. I like the way he analyzes this stuff. And there's other ways you can build businesses or, or whatever. Got it. And how about the team structure? So the last event that we did, we had Cody, Hormozis, other people talking about they're spending anywhere from 30 to 100K a month on their content team. So how's your content team structured first? And then how much do you think you're spending a month? Yeah, we don't break it out like content team versus others. So like it, our whole structure is a little weird because um, I basically think of it all as like my family office. And for example, I have an EA, I have a director of finance, my wife is not on payroll, I'm not on payroll, my brother's not on payroll, you know what I mean? It's like this like weird thing, so it's a little unclear in terms of what the actual cost would be for somebody who's just starting from scratch. But what I would say, a team structure, we have two people who do audio video editing. One of them is a video editor, like that's what he's done for a long time. The other guy literally was like, he created a Twitter account and was like tweeting a bunch of our stuff and he like seemed to be spending a lot of time. And then he like DM'd me one day and he was like, hey, do you need help? And so we like brought him in, he was like doing some social stuff and then we like taught him video editing. And now if we post a video, you wouldn't know the difference between the video editor or him. So it's like interesting how transferable the skills are if people really want to learn. But we have those two people and that's pretty much it on the content side. Like we don't have like a dedicated social media person. We don't have any of that. But like I use the EA to help with booking stuff. So like I always communicate with the guest, but from a scheduling standpoint, like she's helping. In terms of the business itself, the director of finance is helping because it's one of many things she does or whatever. Got it. I want to go back to Twitter for a second. I have a couple more before we flip on the catch box. I find Twitter growth to be insufferable and like I, I've been playing around with it. There's these Twitter pods or LinkedIn pods that I'm in where everyone's just posting these threads and it's dude, like you can't have a thread every single day. Yo, I'm sorry, but like the thread shit. Yeah. People, people forget this. You know who kicked all this off? Mark Andreessen. Oh. No? Who? Andreessen would do like super smart threads. Yeah, like, so I thought it was him. Whatever. My brother, I give him shit all the time. So the, people forget this stuff because it was during like the pandemic. Yeah. 
In 2020, my brother came to me over the summer and he was like, I want to do what you're doing. And I had hundreds of people come to me and I was like, dude, it's not even worth us talking about. You're not going to do it. Nobody ever did it. And he's like, no, no, no. Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. And he's like, I already have this Substack thing. I have a brand for it. Like, I'm going to do it. So I gave him like a little bit of tips or whatever. He woke up every single day at five o'clock in the morning and he would write the email before he would go work at JP Morgan. He would work all day, kind of Wall Street hours or whatever. He would come home and then he would start doing research to then write again the next morning. So he was working his ass off. So he came up with, okay, if you hit certain metrics in terms of the email, Twitter, and then we have a line of sight to being able to replace your salary in terms of revenue, you'll quit. And I thought, no way he's going to fucking do it. Dude works at JP Morgan's for a 25-year-old kid, got the life. And he sends me a text message one day and he goes, yo, I'm about to tweet something, retweet it. And again, I had a good number of followers, maybe four or 500,000 followers, but what he sent me was he had written the email in the morning and then he had literally gone and just created a thread of it on Twitter. And so I retweeted it. It got some engagement, but we didn't go crazy. Like my audience wasn't sports or whatever. And so then we were sitting on the phone talking later that night and we were like, dude, who do we know with a big following that would retweet it? So Darren Rovell followed me. He had followed me for a couple of years. <laughs> so I DM'd it Darren and I was like, yo, this is cool, retweet it. And was just hoping he didn't realize it was my brother. <laughs> so he retweets it. So the next night, Joe does it again, sends it to me. I send it to Darren, he retweets it. So this went on for a week. And then all of a sudden Darren was like, hey fuckers, like I'm literally giving you my audience. Every time he would retweet it, Joe's followers would go up by a couple hundred or thousand or whatever. And what we realized was nobody wanted to click through off of Twitter. So Twitter was probably suppressing it somewhat too, but also like they wanted the information. It was just the same thing he wrote an email now in this thread form. And so he was doing it and he literally went from no followers in July of 2020 to probably 250,000 followers in the first like year. It's got like maybe 500,000 now. And so there's two other people who I won't name because I don't want to put them on blast, but they saw this and they started messaging us and they're like, hey, how does this work? Whatever. Then they started doing it. And then like very quickly it, it spread into the, oh, this is going to get annoying, right? Because like all these people in tech and finance and stuff are going to start doing this. And so I always give them shit because I'm like, actually those people were smart. They saw something working. They realized I can take this and I can apply it to what I do and then go and it works. And some of these people have gotten hundreds of thousand followers, whatever. I've done the same thing. I've seen something somebody else does. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How do I take it, make it my own, right? And then use it again. And so it's not a knock against them. It's just like a, you should be doing this, but the Twitter thread thing, I'm like, dude, yeah. stop. <laughs> it's becoming really insufferable. So I joined these pods and I started doing it for a little bit. I'm What's just, a pod? So a pod, the way it works is you have, a, there's like multiple WhatsApp group and everyone's like trying to cross promote each other. And these uh, people have hundreds of thousands smart. of followers. Yeah. And so, but then they're all posting the same threads. They're all copying each other. They're all using like hype theory to look at what performs and they're just like modifying it a little bit. So it's just more and more trash. Yeah. And then I did it for a while and then I had, a, I have a ghostwriter doing it right now, but I'm just like, it doesn't feel good to do it. I'd rather tweet 40 times a day like you did and just tweet on something I'm passionate about and hopefully yeah, it's... Yeah, somebody texted me this morning. I was on one. The inflation data came and I was just fucking going, right? And they were like, hey, man, you okay? <laughs> but it's just, yeah, that probably will get way more engagement. Mm -hmm. And because it's true. Like I, I, what I'm saying is what I actually believe and like I happen to have a unique perspective on it. But I think one of the things, the thread like approach, at least from what we've seen, the format of something can work but if the content doesn't stick out, it's like a minuscule like improvement. A you gotta have a hook. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just like this minuscule improvement. It's like maybe you were, use easy example, you're gonna get 100 likes on something. Okay, you put it in thread form, now you get 120. But actually, if you 
just had a super unique viewpoint, that would have gone viral. And so I think that it's, you can improve on the fringe, but actually the most important thing is what market are you picking and what is the content? And if there's anything I've learned across all these platforms, it's like good quality content will always win. And sure, you can optimize your thumbnail or this or whatever, but if nobody cares. There's this guy, Jay Alto, who I follow on Twitter. He talks about YouTube thumbnails and things like that. And he basically will tweet, he had this one tweet last week where it's, this is why I love YouTube. Great content will always win. So this, there's this one channel where it only has one video, but that one video it has 500,000 views on it, right? And to your point. Yeah, and I would say also, one of the things on the platforms, how many people in here have a podcast? Like audio podcast, hardest shit to grow, right? There's no virality built in. Well, hey, oh, Neil and I were just talking sorry. yesterday. Do you want to trade impressions with us? Trade impressions? Yeah. Podcasts don't grow, right? Because the reason why podcasts don't grow no matter what you do outside of just like pure content stuff is because ultimately what happens is there's no virality built into it. And so what I mean by that is let's say that I release an audio podcast, Eric listens to it. He listens. The only way anyone else is finding out about this podcast is if Eric loves me so much and likes the episode so much that he takes it and he DMs it to someone, he texts it, he tweets it, he like does something with it. I do it all the time. But on YouTube, if you just watch the full video, YouTube's, yo, Eric, like that shit. Send it to more people like Eric. Mm-hmm. And they just send it. And so, like, we can see in the data where it's very obvious. Like, there's a YouTube video that's going. And then all of a sudden, YouTube's just, yup. And they just send it a million views. And so, I think that there's a key piece to, like, all this content stuff. Yes, eventually you have to be on multiple platforms. But people are going to keep going to the platforms where there is virality built into it rather than trying to build from scratch. Because, like... Name a podcast that's been created in the last 12 to 18 months that's broken through that maybe we can name two or three. But outside of that, like on YouTube, there's like a new YouTube channel every week. And so I think that like the way that these platforms are built too, you really got to pay attention to because that will ultimately drive growth. Got it. Two more questions from my side. So we talked about this before. I don't know if you're still doing it, but I think it might be helpful if you are. The way you incentivize your YouTube channel managers is based <laughs> on growth. Are you still doing that or do you sack the person? Yeah, this is, it's always weird to talk about because other people are like, why would you do this? So what we've done historically is everyone on the team, not just the guys who work on YouTube, I take a percentage of profit. Sometimes it's revenue, sometimes it's profit, depending on the month. I put it into a revenue share pool, and everyone gets an equal share. So there's no, hey, you did five videos, I did three, so I get 40%. There's none of that shit. It's just like everyone gets a flat percentage, but it's very much how do we incentivize everything to grow. But also, I don't just put like pure content stuff in there. So for example, let's say that for a long time we had a business that wasn't a separate business. It was piggybacking off of all the content stuff. I took 10% of all revenue that was going in there and I was giving that to people who are working on content. If you think about it, they're like, we just do the content stuff. But yeah, the content drives the value of this business or this product. So I need you to do a good job because it's ultimately going to drive more value over here. How do I make sure you do a good job? It's like, I will financially incentivize you to do it by giving you a share of the upside there. Got it. And you're still doing this right now? Yeah. And you're sharing with how many creators or content creators? There's just the core team. There's four people total that, that take some. Got it.
Oh, and I actually, I, I forgot. <laughs> this sounds bad. There's two other people who work on the team. Um, they uh, do all the ads and events and all that. I don't think of them as like core content people, but obviously they're super important in terms of the monetization. Uh, that's another one I want to touch upon real quick. You did this show, you started this two years ago called The Best Business Show, and it was like, it looked like it was a grind. And so can you talk about that for a minute and like what you learned from that experiment? Yeah, it, somebody should do it. It's just I don't want to be the guy to do it. One of the big th things, like one of my big theories is that like everyone eventually converges to YouTube. So if you are, hi. <laughs> if you think about ESPN or CNBC or CNN or whatever, like they have cable and cables is like lock and nobody's fucking watching that stuff. Right, literally nobody's watching that. The only reason I would ever go on CNBC is to get the video to then post it on the internet. Like it's kind of like a billboard. Nobody actually thinks that somebody's going to look at the billboard. They just want the photos to then go viral on the internet. And so what you find is that, take sports as an example. Pat McAfee has destroyed mm -hmm. SportsCenter. If you go and you talk to most young people, they are watching Pat McAfee. They are not watching ESPN SportsCenter. They don't have cable. They literally can't watch it. And so the same idea was in business. I didn't want to make it, I was like one foot in, one foot out in the sense of, I really respect what the CNBC people have done. They've been incredible to me. I really benefited a lot from going on the show and things like that. So I didn't want to come out kind of like Pat did and draw the line in the sand and be like, fuck you guys, I'm coming. That's not really my style. But somebody who does that will build a massive show. And the beauty is cable subscribers in the United States, 75 million of them. YouTube has 1.8 billion monthly active users. Like you're just fishing in a bigger pool. And so the whole idea was just like, let's just go live, we'll just cover the news for two hours a day. We'll bring on guests, like we'll do the whole thing. It costs, you can get it up and running for $75,000 maybe, equipment, like all the stuff that you can pay a team. And like it works, it definitely works. They weren't super excited because I named it The Best Business Show. And then when I would go on CNBC, I was like, no, my title is host of the best business show. <laughs> They're like, all right, dude, we're not going to put that on there. <laughs> They're like, you're an investor. I was like, no, I'm the host. <laughs> and I think that that's just where the world's going. It's like those guys all, they want to compete on YouTube. Like they want to win on the internet. They realize that's the future. That's where the big audiences are. But also like the TikTok people want to get to YouTube, right? All these people who create content, eventually everyone converges on YouTube because the most emotional connection you have is audio, video, to a large audience, and that's what YouTube provides. The downside, it's a fucking grind. I'll spend five hours a day on it, two hours record, like literally for two hours, I'm staring into fluorescent lights, like running a news show. And eventually you just realize, I just don't really care that much about the news. What, so what kind of results did you get from that? Because I, I, at the time when you started, I think you didn't have, you had what, 50K, 100K YouTube subs or whatever? I don't remember how many subs. We got like and a decent- Subs don't matter, sorry, views. Yeah, yeah, we got a decent number of subs. The show probably total did, Definitely millions of views. We did it for exactly 12 months. You can make a ton of money. There's all the things that people would expect once you have a big audience and you can do. I would say that the upside to it was I fucking knew every detail of what was going on in the world every day because you're having these conversations. You're like live too. You got to be on your game. So I was spending a lot of time learning, which was great. The downside to it is it's live. If any of you have ever done a podcast and afterwards you're like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said, let's cut that out. There's no doing that. So there's a couple of times where you get excited or something happens or whatever. And like on CNBC, they're like adults. So I got a suit and tie, they're like chill. My brothers and I'd be like, dude, that's fucking awesome. Go nuts. And then you're like, eh, maybe we should have been a little more chill with that one. The event that you have coming up, can you tell us about that and what's the thinking behind that long term? Yeah, I just, I just want to get in like person with people. And every... 
So there's two things that I really thought about. One is like, everyone is scared to do what we're about to do. So we'll announce it this week. I don't, I don't, this isn't being streamed anywhere. Okay. Like we're going to announce a panel this week and everyone's going to freak out, but we're having four of the top 10 all-time earners from the porn industry on a panel to talk about their business and investment portfolio. And everyone's nice. like, why would you do that? So there's literally a woman who people, it's rumored she's a billionaire because of her real estate portfolio. We're doing that, but at the same time, we have like super serious investors and people and things like that. Kathy Wood, Vivek Ramaswamy, like all these people. And so I just always look at it as, for some reason, people kind of treat me. They're like, hey, this guy is like legit enough where if he says he's going to do something, like we respect it, whatever. But at the same time, no business conference would ever even invite these people, let them you know, alone have them on stage like this. So that was like interesting to me. And the second thing is there's people coming who like, they're going to share ideas people are not going to be excited about. And those are the people I enjoy talking to. So some of them are like, yeah, I don't know, like kind of controversial topics or whatever. But more importantly, it's like there's a lot of original thinking that goes on. And so I just think that the more that you can be exposed to original thinking, you may not agree with the people, but it just gives you confidence to do original thinking yourself. And we'd probably be pretty much better off if we had more of that. I love it. Where can people find out about that event? It's free. I see them Miami. Com. So Lyceum, I don't know if anyone knows this, Lyceum is the public gymnasium in Athens, Greece, and they used to just have people show up like out in the open, and people from all walks of life would just like debate ideas. So that was like the general idea. But yeah, just LyceumMiami.com. Cool. A Qu couple questions. One, if you only could focus on one social media platform moving forward, which would it would be and why? And two, when you say a percentage pool, because I think I need to incentivize my content team to do the same. I sound like a good idea. How much is that? Like, yeah. is it a certain amount? Of, is it a thousand dollars a month? Is it ten thousand? Is it? Yeah. What are you giving? I'll do the second one first. Uh, it's a percentage, so we just do ten percent, and it's supposed to be of profit. But if we have a month where there's not a ton of profit because the decisions I'm making, let's say I'm like heavily investing in something from an R and D standpoint or something, I'll jump it up and I'll do it of revenue. So I always take the approach that like, I have this rule around tip. Like if you go to a restaurant and everyone's at 20%, I'm not good at math. So if the bill's a hundred bucks, I'm like, yeah, it's around 20%, I think. <laughs> so $20 and then I just add like a dollar or two. And it's like the money, that extra dollar or two will mean more to the server than it will to you. And it's just like a nice gesture. Same thing here is last month, one of the revenue sources was down. And so I took one of the other revenue sources and I just jacked it up. And I was like, hey, I'm gonna give you guys this percentage. I didn't have to do that. It's not contractual, it's whatever. But it's like, I'm taking care of them because at some point I want them when, let's say something bad happens or whatever, they're gonna be like, yo, he always got her back. So I just, that's always my mentality around that stuff. And then on the platforms, it's hard to answer because it's like, what are you optimizing for? Somebody said to me like, hey, nobody knows who I am and I want to build an audience that is really important that people see my face. Obviously, a podcast and Twitter don't really help, right? So YouTube would probably be one of them. But if somebody's just, I'm just optimizing for video views, then like TikTok and Instagram reels and YouTube shorts and like the short form video content. It's relative to what you're doing. Correct. Now, if you just said to me like, hey, I just want to drive traffic, Twitter is still like... Twitter, I would use Twitter to then build an email list and then Twitter and email together is like unrivaled.
Did you see? So Lenny, Lenny, I forgot his last name. Red Richkowski. Richkowski. Yeah. So he's got Lenny's newsletter, right? Lenny the, the goat. Four or five hundred thousand <laughs> subs. He's great. But I think he mentioned on a recent podcast. He said you would think that Twitter drives more email subs, but LinkedIn drives way more email subs for him. So I thought that was interesting. yeah. I'm not big on LinkedIn, so that could be true. I think um, you crush it on LinkedIn. And also, I think it's like, what is your audience? Like obviously the business audience. I always joke Twitter is what LinkedIn should have been. Like I meet way more people on Twitter through DMs than I ever meet. Like people message me on LinkedIn. I don't even respond, right? But Twitter, it's, hey, I know who you are. This is legit. I'd like to talk to you. And then the other thing too is one thing that the guys at Morning Brew and a bunch of these platforms that we've talked a lot about is the best way to grow a platform is to use the platform. So if you want to grow email subs, actually the best way to get email subs is like to use email. So like advertising other people's email because you already know they have a propensity to receive emails and then They'll get your email. It's just different content, but same platform. Same thing with podcast, right? Is so the swapping of shows and stuff like that. And then YouTube as well. What a lot of people try to do, and I've made the mistake so the hard way, is like, you're like, oh, I have a big Twitter audience. Let me drive traffic to this YouTube video. But what happens, for example, on YouTube is people will click the link on Twitter, but on Twitter, they're used to scrolling. Like it's a very fast paced platform. And when they get to YouTube, they like watch three seconds. Oh, fuck, I don't care about this. And they get and they back out. That brings the average view duration way down. And then YouTube's, this is shitty content. All these people are showing up. They don't care. They're leaving immediately. It must not be good. And they suppress the volume. So actually, the best way to grow YouTube is on YouTube, not, hey, let me drive a ton of traffic from these other platforms. Because what happens is they aren't used to watching a long-form video, as an example. And so it suppresses the thing. So you get into this like very weird world of just, just create great content and like it'll work out. Yo, I wonder if you could riff on the idea of having an opinion. Because you said that. I'm sure I have none that. of those. <laughs> yeah. Any tips on how to develop a kind of more opinionated, stronger voice, interesting point of view? Any thoughts on that front? What space are you in? Personal development, productivity, self-help. Okay. Type stuff. What did you do this morning? Went to the gym. Okay. What did you do in the gym? Leg day. Tweet it. Yeah. Nice. What are you going to eat for lunch? Whatever Eric said. Tweet us. it. <laughs> like, what do you? How do you do email? To be more productive. What's your email system? Tweet it. Like you have opinions. It's just like you don't think that they're unique or you don't think that anyone cares. But like you have all these opinions because all these things you do. So another thing that you can do, there's a lot of people in the creative fields. I just read Rick Rubin's book. He talks about it, but there's plenty of other people who talked about it. Where actually one of the best ways to create a unique perspective or like a unique skill is to just imitate other people to start. And then like over time what happens is like, you learn the muscle memory of through imitation. So just like, what is everyone else talking about? Like, oh, they're talking about their email system. What's your fucking email system? And just talk about that, talk about that. And then eventually, like, you'll slowly pull away in a different direction, and, like, your uniqueness will come through. But, like, you can just start out with imitation. If you really think, in 2017, when I started on Twitter, that's what I did. I didn't know I was doing it, but I would every hour go to all the media sites, and I would just look for whatever they're writing about, and then I would just tweet it. I didn't have any fucking opinions. And then like now, I tweeted 10 times today already, right? So it's if you just use imitation to start, then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I've got volume. I've got like the muscle memory. And then you can add in the unique element over time. Thanks. By the way, you two should collab. He's got 5 million subs on his YouTube. And he has a podcast. Oh, I need subs. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. Brandon? We have 500,000 and I have no clue how we got there and how to get any bigger. Do you see a future where platforms like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, where you can monetize the same way that you can on YouTube? I'm not super familiar with TikTok, but I know that some of the big creators make a lot of money there. Do you think that will force the other platforms to offer the same 
incentivization models? Yeah, man, people get real mad when I talk about this, but I don't think that you should build a business relying on the platforms for monetization for two reasons. One is we do 8 million views a month, let's say right now. YouTube will pay us eight, $9,000. And you're like, how does that happen? Six million of the views are coming from shorts. Two million are coming from interviews. So we're getting paid on the interviews, right? So two million is $8,000 or whatever. Six million shorts, we're getting paid like $10. It's like a joke. Now they say that they're gonna add all this other stuff and like whatever, like we'll see, right? It was supposed to be this big thing, but we don't know what the numbers are yet. But I know that if we went, we sold ads directly to people, I could make 100 grand a month by selling them ads against 2 million views. So you have to build the muscle to be able to sell ads or do brand deals or whatever. But even that is like a step in the right direction, but it's not the ultimate destination. So I think you were alluding it to it earlier, but like we just took all the ads off of everything. And the reason that we're doing that is because ultimately the advertiser was using us as a middleman. The advertiser came to us and gave us a dollar. We told our audience about something and then they went and bought something and gave the advertiser four or five dollars. So like, why don't we just cut the middleman out there, stop taking the dollar, and instead build our own businesses, our own products, and then we can advertise them and get four or five dollars. YouTube, that way YouTube taking $9,000 a month. No, no, we'll still, we'll still take the ads or whatever, because like you can't, it's really hard to build a YouTube channel without the ads turned on, because if YouTube's not making money, why are they gonna show your videos to the audience? But it, for example, rather than me go do a brand, let's say I, I go and I do a brand deal with somebody and they're like, hey, we'll pay you 10K, we want four podcast ad reads and we'll give you $10,000. Okay, what happens if I just build something that I can read four times on the podcast and make more than $10,000? Because that's what they're doing. They're just paying me 10K because they're gonna make 50K. So if I just build what they build and then I make 50, that's a better deal. The reason why a lot of people don't do it is it's hard, right? It, there's only so much time, there's all this stuff, but if you have the ability to build companies or products, then you're better off having the vertical integration of the company plus the distribution. So to answer your question, I think the platforms will have to compete with each other and they'll try to get better. It's just hard. YouTube is by far the best one at like sharing revenue, but Twitter, they're talking about it, whatever. Yeah. How much money are they really gonna send somebody? It can't be that much. Have you ever been hacked or banned on Twitter? <laughs> I've never been hacked. Knock on wood. People have tried a lot. Um, like I'll wake up and I'll have a bunch of the like codes and all that stuff. We've had, we had a podcast audio episode from Apple get taken down. We eventually got it reinstated. We've had 10 YouTube videos taken down. The big one, I interviewed Andrew Tate a year before he got like really popular and I held it. And then when he was like in the, like he was literally more searched than Biden, we released it. How did you um, know to hold it? I didn't. You didn't want to release it, huh? <laughs> I couldn't release it at the time. So we did the interview and everything he was saying at the time, like the climate just was like, they would have come for me for sure, probably him as well. And so it's just, hey, like I knew him before and he like started with the kind of doing it. He, it's weird to say this, but like when you sit and talk to him and like you remove all the bombastic stuff or whatever, and I said it to him in the interview at the end, he goes, what is the thing I've said today that you disagree with? And I said, everything you're saying has a kernel of truth. You just say it in this super bombastic way. because you're hyperbole, trying, yeah. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to get the views. It was, very, it was like very obvious, he knew what he was doing. It was, I said it to him on the podcast. 
you couldn't have released it when we recorded it in 2021. He blew up and he'd gone on two or three other podcasts and it was obvious, okay, the, like the culture has changed. The reception was different. So we released it. It had, in the first two weeks, maybe like 1.4 million views and then YouTube just took it down. And when I asked why, it took me almost two months to get like a direct answer, but we eventually got one. And so that's like the big interview that got taken down. And we wait, had our wait, YouTube what, channel. Why? Why? What was the, yeah, um, YouTube. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Prob- probably four or five of the videos we've had taken down is because guests make some comment about elections not working, being rigged, something. And in each case, usually it is some very hand-wavy comment about like elections in general, not like a specific one. And so that's like gray area, right? So like now if, an, if a guest says something like that, we will actually like self-censor and we'll tell the audience like we are not going to play this part because I just don't want to deal with the YouTube stuff, but also it's unclear. Are they talking about like third world country type election or are they talking about like a U.S. election? slippery slope and then we had our youtube channel deleted once like the entire channel and i went fucking bananas on twitter i was pissed and thankfully i had a big enough audience where like very quickly the youtube team was like hey what happened i was like great question (laughs) our entire channel is like just deleted and it came out later an employee at youtube made a mistake and accidentally deleted it like one employee And I, again, went bananas and I was just like, you're telling me that a single employee at the company can just with the click of a button delete someone's channel and there's no checks or balances or reason or whatever. And they were like, we're not saying that, but you have your channel back. Have a good day. (laughs) So like, whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's just, that's the danger, right? Podcasts, RSS feeds, and email are obviously the two that are least likely to that to happen. But the way I originally got a job at Facebook was because I was building a company that was pulling on all the social media APIs and we got in touch with people at Facebook and we were like, hey, we know that this is like the real, like the open API, like what's the real one? And they were like, we're not like, no. (laughs) But that was like the idea. It was like, they definitely have more data than they're giving to like the average Joe on the API. So same thing here. It's like whenever there's some sort of issue, if you can get in touch with an employee, they have internal systems that they can escalate things. And it doesn't promise that you'll get it back, but at least they'll know about it. And actually just to double down on that, on what Richard said as well, Neil got his YouTube channel banned like deleted a couple weeks ago, 1.1 million subs. How did he get deleted? What is he talking about? So one of his account managers, something happened, and then I put out something, but he also put it out to five other YouTube employees, and so one of them, like, unlocked it. So that's the way. The the other thing, too, is the bigger your account, it's just naturally, right? Like, they don't want you to yell and scream. So it's unfortunate. I've even told them times, like, they deleted a video once, and I was like, look, I'm not going to make a big deal about it because it's just not... It's not worth like dying on this hill, but like when they deleted the channel, I, mean, I went. Basically, what's happened? I was like tagging Susan Wojcicki, and I was like, "Yo, what's your cell phone number?" I'm like, "Text me." Yeah. And people were like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so yes, you can definitely get their attention if you have a big enough audience. What's the end game for you? <laughs> I've always said one day I'm just gonna stop the internet. It's fun. That's really what I do now. But as you guys saw, I have a young child and I just genuinely want to like enjoy my life. And so if you had talked to me, like I've, everyone goes through this. A lot of people don't like to admit it, but when I was in college, I remember sitting in class and I was supposed to be paying attention, but I was talking with somebody and they were like, yo, what are you going to do when we get out of here? 
like I felt like we were like in prison, right? And I was like, if I could make two thousand dollars a month, I'm set forever. Like for a college kid, you're rich if you're doing that, right? And that literally was like my mentality. It was just like figure a way. And then obviously over time, then you're like, dude, if I can get a million dollars, I'll retire. And like just as life goes on, but like eventually you just realize there's trade-offs. And I forget who, there was somebody recently, I think did a podcast episode maybe, and was talking about what it takes to be the single greatest person at something is like you basically have to destroy the rest of your life. And so like, I don't necessarily want to be the single greatest person at one thing. I actually think it's pretty interesting if you can be really good at a couple different things and still have like an enjoyable life, right? And so the end game, I think it's just one day I'm literally just like, I'm good on the internet and I just keep building companies and chill. I don't know, talk to me next week and I'll be like, dude, if I only had $2 million. <laughs> How did you deal with being like the Bitcoin guy to now saying, I'm not, I'm done talking. Bitcoin Jesus. Bitcoin Jesus. <laughs> no, definitely not that. Yeah, so the context is in 2016, I started mining Ethereum, ETH, and learned about Bitcoin over time. And I think one of the, one of the pieces, I actually wish Plin was in here, people like don't realize is I knew nothing about this, like zero, and I studied it. Like I, I hated school, I didn't do shit, whatever, but she would literally like walk in the room and I was like studying. And I was like, I have to fucking figure this out. There's too many smart people and too much money and all this stuff like flowing towards the, what the fuck is this thing? And at that time, every, I was meeting tons and tons of people, right? So that's why I was talking about it a lot because like, that was a magnet to talk to people. I was writing an email, people would respond. It was just like, put all this shit out in the world, people come back, right? And like, they tell me, hey, that's wrong, this is right. I like this idea, have you considered this, whatever. It was very much this world of imagine the possibility, this is a crazy idea, but if it works, there's all this technical innovation, like all this stuff. That's somehow morphed over the last, I don't know, five years. There's like this like new faction, like they think it's a fucking religion. I'm out. Like I'm out on the religion stuff. And so for me, like, I also think that it's bad if something like Bitcoin, which is decentralized, ever has, let's call it three to five people, probably in that last cycle, that were like, if you said, hey, who talks about Bitcoin a lot on the internet? You'd point to those five people. If those five people are the same people cycle after cycle, like that's bad, right? For a decentralized thing, like you actually want like new people. So if you think back, sure, a bunch of people who found out about Bitcoin between 2017 and 2022 are like, oh, he talked about Bitcoin a lot. I learned about Bitcoin from him, whatever. Like that used to be people like Roger Ver or Andreas Antonopoulos or name your person who came before. Some of those people decided like they didn't want to be part of Bitcoin anymore. They went to like other coins or whatever. Some of those people just got quieter. Some of the people like completely disappeared. So there's people like Trace or Wences Casari. So like they're not public at all. But I mean, I, it, hopefully he doesn't see this and think that I'm blown up a spot. But like he's probably the single most important person getting like most of Silicon Valley interested in Bitcoin in 2011. So like it's just like those cycles are natural. And then like in terms of the hate, like who fucking cares? There is somebody I know who's literally a billionaire who like obsesses over the number of likes he gets on tweets. And I had to tell him one time, I was like, dude, you're a fucking billionaire. Stop being a loser. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> you care about how much engagement you get on the internet? Like you have everything that from the outside people would want. And you're worried because your tweet didn't get enough likes? We live in a fucked up. And it goes back to this question of, do I really care what the opinion of people is that I don't know? These people don't know who I am. I had, and I'll give you a direct example. So I was in the army. I was in Iraq for a year. 
I don't really talk about it that much. It's just like a thing I did. I learned a lot. I had this great experience, whatever. Obviously some crazy shit, whatever, at the same time. And during all of this, there's a guy online who was fucking going ham and was using that against me and being like, oh, this fucking guy. Somebody said something about the military or something, and he was like, I know plenty of vets that are fucking scumbags. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, when you see something like that, like, you have a choice. Like, you can respond or not. And so there's this one story that I always keep in the back of my head. Everyone know who Skip Bayless is, right? The talking head in sports. He has attacked LeBron James for 20 years. He's, you're a scrub, you're this, like all, like the dude's the scoring leader of all time. And literally Skip Bayless to this day is like, LeBron sucks. <laughs> right? Think about that for a second. <laughs> it's entertaining. That's literally for 20 years, he's been yelling at the best player in the world at the time. <laughs> you suck. He's never responded. He's responded to a lot of other people. He's never responded to Skip Bayless. And uh, I've told a story on the podcast before, but like I know somebody who's very close with LeBron. And he's like, yeah, man, like he's never responded to like multiple times I've wrestled him to the ground and took his phone out of his hand, right? Because he was about to light him up. <laughs> so don't think that it's, you're not human. Like you see the shit, you get, you're like, dude, fuck these people. But at the same time, it's just let it go. And I think one of the, something somebody told me one time always resonated is they were like, imagine how unhappy you have to be to get on the internet to like yell at people. And like when you think about it that way, <laughs> for a while I used to respond to trolls, on DM them, but hey man, sounds like shit's like real bad in your life right now. I hope everything's okay. Let me know if I can ever help. <laughs> like you want to see fucking steam come out of people's heads, right? <laughs> they would be like, dude, fuck you. And so again, and I was genuine. Like that wasn't me like trying to troll them back. Like I would literally was like, whoa, something has to be so like going so horribly wrong in your life that you're so unhappy that I'd see them tweet and I'd go and look them up on the internet. I'm like, dude, you're a 47 year old man with two kids, a wife, and like you work at a big corporation. What are you doing talking shit to people on the internet? Like under your real name. <laughs> and like, at least get like a fucking student on. I was like, Cal, you're not even good at the internet. And so last thing I'll say is, I don't know if anyone saw Barstool Sports. There's this guy who, he did in classic Barstool fashion, he did like an investigative report of a troll on the internet. I don't know if you guys saw this. So somebody was like chirping at him and he like went and figured out that the guy had changed his name a little bit. He figured out who it was and it turned out it was a women's soccer coach at a high school. And so the Barstool guy pretended to be some like kind of mid-level no-name reporter from a high school like journal or something. And was like, hey, I'm doing a story. <laughs> so this guy gets on video. And he starts off, he's like, how do you think about social media and high school athletes? Is there toxicity? Like, I mean, he's just baiting the shit out of them. And then at some point he goes, yeah, so everything you're telling me makes sense, but like, how do you feel about people like at MG72 who say things like this? And the dude just goes like white. He's just, and he's like, that's you, right? <laughs> and so they post the video, it's like confront, confronting an internet troll or whatever. And like you can literally see this guy was like, like it hit him. One, I'm sure he's worried about his job and like all that kind of stuff. But also, holy shit, who I think I am in real life is not who I've been pretending to be on the internet. And so I always take that as, is that my problem? No. But if you keep that in the back of your head, you would meet some of these people and you're like, damn, that person probably just had a bad day. 
And so I literally met somebody at the Brickell City Center. He came up to me. He was like walking by and he goes, and he was nervous as fuck. <laughs> and Plano's with me. And I just said, hey, what's up, man? He goes, I, I, I got to go. <laughs> and he like scurried away. And he later DM'd me and I realized, I was like, this motherfucker's talked shit to me on the internet before. But we like ran into each other and it was like this weird thing where he recognized me, he wanted to say hi, but like in his head he was like, oh shit, what if he figures out I talk shit? To like, who cares? But that's where you realize like reality, like Twitter's not reality. So just let it go and just move on. So all those people who were saying all that stuff, I saw them. I literally have DMs from many of them being like, hey man, I learned about Bitcoin from you. And like now they're like, fuck you. Okay, sure. <laughs> there you go. Life goes on. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.